Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Welcome to the first actual episode of Painting Corners of the offseason. We've had previews, we've had betting overviews of over-under odds, but now we're back and we're actually talking about baseball that has already happened. And I'm Austin Hartsfield. Dave Kukowski is here with me as always. Dave, what do you think about this first week of baseball so far and the awkward start that it's been for all the good teams? Has it been the most awkward start to a season of all time? Or at least recent history, I guess. It's got to be at least the most recent history. Definitely. I mean, it's got to be. You think about it. You have the defending world champs. Boston Red Sox, our favorite team. We talk about them all the time. But they won 108 games last year. They are they are the worst team in the league at the time of recording this. They have two wins. The New York Yankees won 100 games last year. They added in the offseason. They probably have the best bullpen in baseball. They are in second to last in the AL East and one of the worst teams in the league. The Cleveland Indians suck. St. Louis is struggling. The Cubs stink out loud right now. That bullpen's a joke. And you look on the other side of the coin, teams that are projected to win less than 70 games, like Detroit, Baltimore, are off to a hot start. Playing really well, hitting home runs, pitching Seattle, mashing the baseball, as well as pitching pretty solid as well. There's a lot of going back and forth. It's obviously going to even out. I don't think Baltimore and Detroit are going to win their divisions and win 90 plus games, but definitely cause a concern for some teams, especially some teams like the Yankees that are hurt and the Cubs who don't have anybody really coming up to help them out in their bullpen situation. So we're going to start off this new segment because we're going to jump into the Yankees injuries during the particular segment that we're actually going into. New new season, really kind of a new show technically. I mean, this is the first time we've ever talked about baseball, regular season baseball, while it's actually going on, I believe. Yeah, current. No, this is the first time it's been current baseball before it was, uh, well, we did. We did playoffs last year. Yeah, we did playoffs, but that's a whole different season. So it's the first regular season episode, and before we were doing previews, but now it's go time. So no more previews. It's started. So a new season, new segment. We're going to call it three up, three down. Somebody's definitely called it that before us, but we're definitely going to take it and just hope we don't get... No, we did it first. You heard it Yeah, definitely. We definitely did it first. Uh, So basically what we're going to do each week, each episode, because we're only going to do three up, three down once a week. Because that makes sense. That way we have enough moments and it's not, you know, watered down at that point. We're going to take the three, our three favorite moments each. And we're going to talk about those particular topics. Then we're going to go three down in our three, like least, not least favorite moments, but three kind of downer moments of the week. Dave, you want to start with your first moment? Yes. My first highlight is definitely the Baltimore Orioles as a whole. I'm just going to lump the whole team in there. What a start, man. Like their roster stinks. Their front office stinks. They're supposed to be dead. The ballpark's it's, it's, beautiful. It's, the ballpark's beautiful. They're supposed it, to be dead as a whole, though. Yeah, they're supposed to win 47 games. That's not a lot of games. They're supposed to lose triple digits again. And they're coming out. They're playing great baseball. They're pitching well. They're hitting. They're beating up on the New York Yankees. And at the time of this, they're only down a couple. And, you know, they, they scored again a bunch of runs. They're doing it on the road. It's a great start for them. I'm, I'm happy for them because, A, the Yankees are losing. But... In all reality, it shows that, you know, I guess not every team is going to roll over and die because they're out here trying to win games early. Exactly. So I'm going to go in with my first up of the year. Can we talk about the start that Jacob deGrom's had? I mean, yeah, it's been okay. He's decent at best. I mean, I, I sat there and watched it today. and uh, Yesterday, I apologize, uh, when he pitched against the Marlins. And something miraculous happens when Jacob deGrom starts baseball games. Because you can watch him for the first half of the game. And it's like, okay, you know, he's pitching phenomenal. He's Jacob DeGrom, right? 
And then once the fourth and fifth inning hit, hits, he starts pitching backwards and start starts using his fastball as his out pitch as his velo actually goes up in the later innings. And it's it's art, man. I mean, I've been tweeting about it. You know, he's he's degrominant. We can go on for days with this. But Jacob deGrom is must-see TV. He is, in my opinion, as of right now, the best pitcher in baseball. He's two starts in with a zero ERA, reigning Cy Young Award winner, so we know he's done it before, and I think it's just phenomenal to watch. Yeah, what he's doing is unbelievable. Like you said, he gets stronger as he goes along. Only guys like Verlander and Scherzer share that same common commonality where they get stronger, their arm kind of stretches out a little bit, and they just he's one of the few guys that once the second and third time the order comes up, they get worse. The hitters get worse. Usually the hitters catch up to you and they kind of start to figure, figure you out. And that's where some of the, you know, mediocre pitchers in the majors, they get taken out and it turns into a bullpen game or a long relief. The Grom's the opposite. He throws 97 and his put away stuff is 15 miles an hour slower. It, it, it's unbelievable what he does. You know, he had 14 strikeouts against the Marlins, hit a home run. He's had like 32 straight quality starts. Ty Bob Gibson. The, the guy's the best pitcher. Yeah. I mean, the guy's the best, the best pitcher in baseball right now. And he plays on a team that, you know, kind of stinks. Well, they should stink, but they're playing really well right now. Last year, they sunk. They get injured all the time. They can't figure it out their own way. But he just goes out every day and just he just continues to dominate. He's he's 20% of the way there to, to reach the amount of wins that he reached last year. Yeah, the fact that he had, what, eight or nine wins last yeah, year? I think, he, I think he finished with Something 10. ridiculous like that. Yeah, it was like 10, 12 or some, something stupid. I don't know. I think it was a losing record. But he is... He proved that the win stat means absolutely nothing. And we'll get a, we'll get finally into that at least. Maybe maybe this episode, maybe the next episode, whenever Patrick Brennan comes on and actually talks about statistics in depth. But Dave, what is your next up of the week? My next up of the week is a certain player, Colton Wong, for the St. Louis Cardinals. At the point of this recording, he's batting like 500, like two or three home runs. He is unbelievable right now. A defensive wizard. You know, he's one of the higher defensive war guys in the league. Great, great player out in the field, but finally hitting the ball really well. And maybe he's just getting comfortable in that big lineup with Carpenter and Goldschmidt in front of him now. And, you know, a lot of other heavy hitters in that team. Maybe it's just the ballpark. Maybe it's a hot start, but I'm happy for him because the big thing with him was that the bat was never completely there. And if he can just hit 300 and just kind of hang out there or 280 and turn into like a Dustin Pedroia type, I mean, what a fine for the Cardinals there because his contact, contract is pretty good as well. Yeah, no, he has a good contract. Uh, another guy that we're very familiar with who is having a phenomenal start. Mind you, we're only 20 ABs into the year, you know, so it's easy to overreact about stuff like this, but you kind of have to look at everything. I mean, we it's the first, it's April. We, we're going to overreact. It just happens. That's how baseball works. That's how life works. That's how sports work. That's how sports yeah. work. You want to talk about what's hot right now so that in three months you'll be like, man, you remember that time Cole Wong batted 500 and then he batted 150? Do you that was know crazy. who's hot right now? Yohan Moncada. Oh, man. Moncada's looking like the ace. Shout out to White Sox, Dave. Yeah, I mean. Moncada's looking good right now. His big thing is he can't hit. He looks like a career 250, 260 hitter at best. Kind of looks like a JBJ. And we, great defender. We say that, fast. right? We say yeah. that, and he's hitting 450, and I understand it's only 20 ABs, but, I mean, if he's anything, if he's a 270 hitter this year, I mean, I think the White Sox will just praise to the baseball gods at that point because what a find. What a find. No, yeah. I mean, if he goes 270, but he has the pop that everybody thought he would have, that's a win. 
I mean, if he's going to bat, if he's going to hit 25 plus home runs, bat 270, you're flirting with Bogarts territory. Yeah. And Bogarts is the top five, top three, top five shortstop in the league. Easy. Top three, top two in the AL. I think, I would say. I think that White Sox, Dave, would take Yohan Moncada being a little better Rugnet Odor. Oh, for sure. He would take him being Xander Bogarts, I think. Well, yeah, Batting anybody, anybody would take. Runs. Like in that, in that, you know, territory, you know, I, I don't think he wants him to be 300 with five home runs, 10 home runs. I think he wants the pop and he wants the, you know, slugging percentage up over the average. And I think that's what you need out of Mankata. He plays great defense, but he's got that a great swing. He's got a lot of power. He's a big dude. He should be that. Uh, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and head to my next up of the week. I'm, you know, I know and I'm taking all the big headlines. Bryce Harper's bat flip, man. What a thing of beauty. You know, he, oh, he strikes out the first two times against Scherzer, rings the double the next time, and then all of a sudden, the Philly fans in Nationals Park chanting, we got Harper, and basically being told to quiet down by a security guard, which is absolutely asinine to me. Which is absurd. It's not even like they were swearing, like saying, go fuck this guy or anything like that. Literally just we win basically yeah it was it was literally we got harper you know and when that happened i mean you could i feel like everybody could feel a shift almost in the game I and mean, then all of a sudden bryce comes up hits a absolute moonshot off a of former uh former philly jeremy hellickson does one of the most beautiful bat flips i've ever seen that thing could have cut grass it was spinning so fast and Takes a takes a lap around the bases, man. I mean, what a beautiful thing. Uh, I like what Rizzo came out and said. He said, "When you hit a ball that far, you can do whatever the hell you want." I agree with that. Yep, I love I love those takes because it's true. And as a guy that lost Harper this offseason, it's very it was very good for Rizzo to come out and say something like that. Yeah, no, that was good. That was that was classy for him to say that, and it's the truth as well. And everybody knows that if your player did that, I mean, Joey Bats, I think every single team in the league fan wise was excited about that, except for one, which were the Rangers fans, because it happened against them. So that's gonna happen. Bryce's bow out in right field afterwards, which was hysterical as well. His new thing that he does in Philly. I mean, it's an easy one to take right there with Harper. I'm gonna jump on that bandwagon though. How about the Phillies? First time since the dead ball era that they're 4-0 to start the year. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, actually. I mean, especially with the bullpen troubles that they're having, you know. Yeah, bullpen troubles and coming into the season, you had NOLA. The perfect offseason. Yeah, they had a perfect offseason. Offensively-wise, they had a perfect offseason, right? They, they add Real Muto, they add Shigera, and they add Harper. It's like playing MLB, the show. But look at, then go look at, on the defensive side, the pitching side, you had Aaron Nola, great uh, contract they got with him. But after that, it was like, you know, Jake Arrieta is Jake Arrieta, but is he going to continue to be good? You got to worry about that. And then it kind of falls off. So the fact that they're pitching well and they're winning games, even with some bullpen problems, is big for them. They're jumping out to a hot start. Harper's batting unbelievable right now. 500. Just seeing strikes. Yeah, 500 and just seeing strikes and just mashing them. So, Obviously, he's not going to bat 500 all year, but it's a very good start for a guy that had a lot of hype coming into this offseason. Absolutely. Let's go into the the three downs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, because so, it was Goldie, Goldie and Yelich. I mean, we're going to talk about them later anyway. Yeah, we'll talk about, you know, the rest of it, but they're expected to do yeah. that, I feel. Especially Yelich after his MVP season last year. But my three downs, I'm going to pick three teams 
because they're all struggling. The first is the our our very own Boston Red Sox. What the fuck is wrong with the Red Sox? Uh, like, why are they doing this? As we speak, they're making Stephen Biscotti look like the ballpark. a Hall of Famer. You got, yeah, you got two Gold Glovers, and the guy that's gonna be the most high paid player of all time in baseball in a couple of years out in right field, dropping balls on the warning track in between their feet like it's little league. You got Vasquez calling the same pitch over and over and over. Erod can't hit his spots. We're giving up a million runs a night. I mean, the offense has actually been good for the Red Sox, minus a game here or there. But for the most part, they're they're hitting well. Yeah. But their pitching has been brutal. The starters and have been awful. The starters have been awful. And it's the opposite where going into this offseason and into this, this season this year, you're like, okay, they have a top three or four rotation in the league with Sale, Price, Evaldi, Erod, and Porcello. You're going to get a lot of innings, a lot of wins, a lot of firepower there. But the bullpen's shaky. No Kimbrel, a couple injuries, you know, no Joe Kelly anymore. Steven Wright suspended slash hurt, whatever the hell he is, whatever you want to pick that day. But besides one, besides the first game of the season, the bullpen's been great. You guys got you guys got names like Colton Brewer coming out. Brazier's got a save. Barnes has a save. They've you know, Tyler Thornburg is real. Runs. Tyler Thornburg's a real person and struggled a little bit, but the bullpen looks great. The stars need to figure it out and just defensively need to be better. They need to be better as a whole. Uh, one of my big downs, so, uh, and this is going to sound really weird if you don't think about it, is free agency as a whole after this class. I mean, extension season is here. Extensions oh, are extension season wild. It is getting insane. You have guys like Bregman, Arenado. I mean, Rendon, I'm sure, is coming. Acuna, who we'll talk to Chris Willis in a couple couple of minutes and get his take on this Acuna thing and how it affects the future. But the next year's free agency class is starting to look really dry. Yeah, it's looking really dry, and it's just it just kind of it, it's going to change the whole game because all these young guys look at Tatis, look at Acuna, Soto, you know, Vlad's going to do it, I'm sure, Bichette, and all Eloy these signed it. They're either. Eloy signed it. They're either taking extensions to buy out their RV years in year one. Not the last year, not the second to last year. The first year or not even playing a game yet, in, in Eloy's case, or Acuna, who played one season. It's changing the whole aspect of free agency. It's going to change, in my opinion, too. You have to learn to draft and trade because these big-time free agents, Machado, Harper, Trout, Mookie, are not going to be big-time free agents anymore because people are going to start taking the money now and running. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to happen. I mean, we see it with Acuna. I mean, this kid could be an MVP candidate for the next 10 seasons, and he's going to be in a Braves uniform for the next season, 10 seasons because of it. I mean, he signed this eight-year deal, but it has two team options on the end. What a beautiful deal for the Atlanta Braves to have a budding superstar who's already a superstar, and in a full season last year, realistically, probably could have won the MVP. And, I mean, you have him locked up for the next 10 years, and I'm sure Ozzie Albies is pretty close. Yeah, well, I'm sure they're all going to follow suit. And when you just look at guys all around the league, you're going to be like, yep, like, think about it at home. Think about if you could flip a coin. All right, it's either going to be $100 million guaranteed tomorrow, or it's going to be $220 million guaranteed over time. But if you flip that 220 it goes to a 50-50. And I know that sounds confusing, but you look at a guy like Eloy, for example. Or Tatis Jr. They have all this hype. They're already producing. One ACL injury, one hit to the head, one anything could go wrong. You could be Jeff Francoeur. 
You could be you could be Frank Court. You could be world like a JP Crawford, one of your guys. And it goes from being wow, this guy's gonna be next. All right, he's good, but he's not great. He's not a hundred million guy. He's like a twenty. Yeah, and that's a big difference. I would take the money and run. You can always make it in endorsements, and you can always make it on that next contract. These guys are like twenty three years old, signing eight year deals. They're gonna be in their prime still when they can go to free agency again. Uh, speaking of JP Crawford, just a little shout out to our boy who's actually starting tonight on opening minor league day for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. Uh, good luck to Cole. This is obviously going to come out tomorrow, so this could be an absolute disaster, but we have the full faith in him that he's going to do just fine. Oh, no, he's going to crush it. He's going to do well. That's our boy, Swerving Irvin. Swerving. Swerving. So what's your, what's your second down of the week? Second down of the week, we're just going to keep on moving in the division. New York Yankees as a whole. The Yankees suck right now, but why do they suck? It's their own problem. I was talking about you this before. Everyone's making this big to do about how the Yankees are have eleven guys on the on the on the new IL. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see them. Bad radio, but the injured list, the disabled list. They have eleven guys on it right now. Go look who's on it. Guys like who? CC Sabathia, been overweight, an alcoholic, in and out of injuries the past couple of years. They keep signing them to extensions. Troy Tulowitzki got paid fifty million dollars by one of the cheapest teams in the MLB to not play for them anymore. Greg Bird, made of glass. Tanaka's been holding on to his shoulder by elastic bands and rubber and, you know, chewing gum at this point. Chapman hasn't been the same since uh, Madden ruined him in the 2016 World Series. They signed him to a big extension anyway to keep pitching him out there. But Tantis is a huge guy and they make him throw a lot. Obviously, he's going to get hurt too. Zach Britton coming off of a Tommy John injury. The list goes on and on. The only fluke one is Andujar, who dove back into first. Into it's just a freak injury. And that's and that's a fluke. And that's a fluke. And Glaber Torres is fine. He hit two home runs today against Baltimore. And Gary Sanchez, who's just lazy, out of shape, was hurt last year. Probably gonna get hurt again. I don't feel bad for the Yankees because they keep doing it to themselves. It's not young guys like Torres and Voigt and guys like that. It's Clint Frazier, another one that, you know, just can't get out of his own concussions and all that. But they keep doing it to themselves, but they're sucking it off the gate too. None of their guys are hitting. Stanton's on the IL. Another guy can't stay healthy. Their bullpen's hurt, but it's pretty deep, but their starting pitching just isn't good. Yeah, it's, it's just not good. Uh, you, sign, you continue to sign guys who are basically the Grand Hill of baseball to where they're glass. You know, they have so much potential, but they're never going to achieve their potential because they can't stay healthy. I mean, Troy Tulowitzki is one of the biggest ones. I mean, he could have been the best shortstop in baseball for, you know, 10 years running at some point when he was in Colorado. But he, he just can't stay healthy. And unfortunately, that's part of the game. And that's where we're at now. Yeah, injuries happen. And you have to be able to, you know, work around that. And as a team and as an organization, you don't want to get all these guys that are like, you know, maybe they can figure it out, but he's hurt, this and that. You do that in fantasy. I drafted a bunch of guys that are, you know, like that in fantasy baseball this year. High upside. Franchise around them. They, yeah. High upside, but they have injury value. Yeah, of course. Uh. Let's go ahead and go on to my second down. And it's actually Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You're sitting here watching Fernando Tatis, Eloy Jimenez, and guys, Chris Paddock. I mean, guys like that in your rookie class basically tear it up almost. I mean, if we want to be honest and we want to throw Victor Robles in there who hit a home run today, they're, they're doing extremely well. And you're sitting down in AAA on rehab, quote-unquote, because your team is too cheap to, at this point, sign you to an extension. It's just not right. 
No, yeah, it, it's it's sad that they're keeping them down there. They're being cheap. And they're being cheap for like a year, eight years down the line. Like, who cares? You're going to make that money back. You're a major league team. Yep. He's going to resign. I mean, just just sign him an extension now. Stop robbing these fans and trading Kevin Pillar. And, I mean, that was going to be another one of mine was Kevin Pillar as a whole. I mean, going from Baltimore – I mean, going from Toronto, you know, who he loved, by the way. He loved being in Toronto as a whole to San Francisco where old all-stars go to die. Yeah, they get the 2011 all-star team every year. Every year. Every year. with You know, they had McCutcheon, who looks a little bit better than he did when he was there. Longoria, you know, all those. Buster Posey's now her. Hunter Pence was there for way too long. Now you're bringing in, you know, a guy like Pilar. They, they just like bringing in these veterans. And veterans are good here and there. You look at a guy like the Red Sox. You look at Steve Pierce came in there. Having a guy like Tulo come in for 500K is a great idea for the Yankees. I know it sounds contradicting, but Tulo should have never been in their game plan for shortstop. They should have moved Torres over there and then just found the second baseman. Oh, DJ? But I digress. What? Oh, or DJ LeMahieu. Weird. They did find that. So why not just do that? Weird. But um, anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Th- that's going to happen. But they, it, they're just a shitty franchise out there. Tell me how... I know, I know who your third down is. And tell me why the Houston Astros are struggling as of now. The Houston Astros are struggling... Probably just because the same reason the Red Sox are and the Yankees are. It's just coming out of the gate, you have a lot of hype. You played extra baseball last season. Teams are looking up to you. You had the target on your back. They're a lot more ready than you are right now. They're jumping down your throats. They're playing hard, and you're just still trying to cruise right now. It's a whole mindset thing, too. The Red Sox have to figure it out. They have to limit the mistakes. Same thing with the Yankees and Astros do as well. Yeah, I mean, it. you know, I've... The first thing that I've ever seen Verlander struggle like mightily in a game, in a regular season game in a very long time, that's for sure. Last night was brutal. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have that, but you usually expect it like, you know, in a bad weather situation or, or short rest or right before the All-Star break when you're a little tired. You don't expect it the first week or two of the season. Yeah. So, I mean... It, the Cleveland Indians are struggling. The Chicago Cubs are struggling. Everybody that basically that was either favored to win the division or be in a wild card spot outside of the Tampa Bay Rays is struggling mightily right now. And of course, we could throw in the Philadelphia Phillies with that. But I mean, it, it's just not good to be a, a favorite right now. No, and and that's going to shift. Obviously, the you know, like I said before, the Tigers aren't going to win the division. Baltimore's not going to win the division. But right now. It definitely has you at the edge of your seat, kind of being like, hey, when are we going to figure it out? I'm kind of over this now. All right, last down of the week. Can we talk about Ron Culpa and just the botch job that he had during the Houston Astros game? You can't come into the game as an umpire with a vendetta. You can't. He came in He came in with a, with a laundry list of things he wanted to get done, and it was not called a game. No, it, and it wasn't. I mean, I sat there and watched a lot of that game, and there is a strike to Joey Gallo that's on, I would say, about the one hole. If you're a catcher, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's in, it's in between the one and five hole when we're talking about pitches. Which is almost dead down the middle yeah. if you're looking at a nine. Yeah. It, it's, it's basically the strike zone you know, in the nine quadrants. Yeah. If you, if you look at that, I mean, it, it was just ridiculous. I mean, Joey Gallo drew a walk. You should know that there's something wrong with that as that, even though he is yeah, walking. Yeah, Joey Gallo walking more. should never happen. But yeah, it shouldn't happen. And it, continuing to look into the dugout, and I respect A.J. Hinch so much more than I did yesterday. Like, I had a lot of love for A.J. Hinch, but there's a little anti-Houstonian in me that has kind of a bias. 
I have so much respect for AJ Hinch now telling Copeland not to look at his guys. Stop looking in the dugout because he continued to do it over and over again. It was just asinine as a whole. Well, yeah, it was childish. It's like when uh, when you're babysitting, and you're like, don't jump up on the couch. And a kid jumps up on the couch and stares at you while he does it because he wants a reaction out of you. He was trying to trigger a reaction out of there. I mean, Garrett Cole's trying to pitch. And he's standing on the rubber and he can't pitch because the umpire won't look at, at him. He's just looking in the dugout for no reason. And it wasn't like one guy was going above and beyond and was freaking out and swearing him. The whole dugout was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What's going on? And then they kind of moved on. And then he just kept staring at him. And Hinch, 100% respect him more for that. And I, and I had a lot of respect for him to begin with. But he just told him, just, just watch the game. There's no reason to look over here. He's like, hey, stop you looking know, at my guys. You can't do that. Yeah. Is actually what he yeah, said. It's, yeah. It's just like you can't stare over there the whole time and like not pay attention. And on top of that, like it's over. You made a bad call. We told you how we felt about it. Let's move on. And, you know, you know that's not that's not how that works. If it wasn't continuous, right? If it was just like a one time thing, it'd be like, okay, you know, it's over. But there was a there yeah, was 100%. there was malice behind this. No, he, there was intent behind that for sure. And then and you knew it was because he got so cocky. Where he's like, I can do whatever I want. And he's like smirking in AJ Hinch's face. It's, it's ridiculous. And MLB should do something about it. We say it all the time. They should be held accountable just like. Players should be held accountable if they mess up on the field or do something inappropriate. You know, they get suspended for a game or fined. I think it's next year. The MLB umps and the uh, MLB unions, uh, their contract ends. If the MLB is smart, they will look at guys like Angel Hernandez, Jim Joyce, Culpa, and say, it just keeps going, man. Yeah, and just say, we do not want these guys in, the, in, in it. So... If you want another contract, get rid of those three guys. You know, get rid of those four guys. There's minor league umpires that don't hate their job because I feel like a lot of no, these umpires hate their job. Oh, no, 100%. And there's guys that think they're be- that think they make the game. Joe West is a good example of it. A guy that definitely one. loves the spotlight, but he's a good umpire. He calls the game really well. I mean, you go back and look at the Red Sox Houston game last year. He was on top of the fan interference and he called a great balls and strikes during the, the rest of that series as well. Whoever was the umpire for opening day for the Red Sox against the Marlins that the Red Sox got smoked, perfect strike zone almost the entire game. I forgot who it was. I would love to give him credit. Sale was trying to paint the corner, and he walked like three guys because they were balls, but they were borderline. But they, they were balls every single time. On the K zone and even on TV, you're like, eh, that could go either way, but it is a ball technically. You need umpires like that. There are some umpires like that in the MLB. But there are far too many shitty ones that the MLB just doesn't do anything about. And here's my big thing with umpires, right? If you're going to be wrong... Number one, it needs to be close. And number two, it needs yeah. to be consistent for both sides. You need to own it. If, if it's going to be a bad call and you don't do a makeup call immediately after, if it's the low, that low pitch is a strike every time, it's got to be a strike every time. It can't be a strike for the first two innings and then not a strike the rest of the game. Or it's not a strike all game and then in the ninth inning, it's a strike. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's it for three up, three down. I mean, we can talk about a couple more. You know, uh, Josh Hader just did something that, nobody does very often i mean craig kimbrell did it but josh Hader did it without anybody making contact immaculate inning nine pitches nine strikes zero contact three strikeouts yep i mean that's that's ridiculous it's disgusting obviously a little bit of luck involved in there because you need the umpires you need guys to swing and and not even foul a ball off or all fastballs like by that. the way all fast i mean it's just one of those things like you know what's coming just hit it but it's tough to do it when it's coming that fast and it's moving as much as it does Hater got off to a rough start for the year, actually. Lorenzo Kane saved his ass, but he gave up a home run. Like, 
you know, it's not in the box score, but the ball went over the fence. Lorenzo Cain just saved it. He he kind of blew a save the first game of the season. It doesn't get noticed because, you know, obviously, you know, he caught the ball and it's all good, but it wasn't a very good pitch since that since that first outing. Lights out. Lights out. I mean, in you know, sometimes it just takes a minute to shake off the rust. Oh, 100%. And that's another thing you're going to see. And it's interesting. You look at guys like Kimbrell and, uh, and Keiko right now. They're going to suck their first couple starts. Unless they're doing live BP, which I doubt they are. It doesn't matter anyway. You can't simulate. You can't games. simulate major league bat- at bats either. You can't do it in any sport. You can't. You can go and practice and put on the uniform, put on the pads and do whatever. But so you get out there with the crowd, the nerves, the pressure, the, the real hitting across from you. I mean, you can simulate all you want, but who are you simulating with? A buddy that you went to college with that, that batted 250? A lot different than Bryce Harper. Absolutely. I mean, and now they're in a little bit of a predicament, and I want to talk about this now because uh, Patrick actually brought it up on Twitter today. They're in a little bit of a, a bind right now because if anybody signs either one of them before June, they have to give up a third-round pick. And if you honestly sit here and think that these guys aren't going anywhere, why the hell would you sign them before June? No, there's no reason to unless you are the only way I can think about it is if it's a contender, like a Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, something like that. Even the Padres. Padres. Well, the Padres aren't a contender. Well, I'm so saying like if you need pitching now. Yeah, yeah. They, they've been talked about with that. But say Avaldi goes down or Tanaka tears his UCL or Patrick Corbin goes down. A guy like that on a team that is expected to make the playoffs, you lose a big time starter. You know, or someone in the Red Sox bullpen, bullpen gets hurt, someone in the Cubs bullpen gets hurt, and they already suck. You're going to be looking at guys scrambling. Other than that, though, what's the point? Just wait it out. Yeah, exactly. And I, I still have a feeling that he's going to wind uh, Kimbrel's going to wind up a Brewer just because of the fact that you lose Corey Knable. I mean, can you imagine finishing with Kimbrel Hader? Claudio? No, Kimbrel Hader is disgusting. I mean, I think he ends up there or in Boston. I thought originally it would have been Atlanta, but Atlanta is proving to they just don't they don't want to pay the money. Do you blame and them? And it's not an issue of money because they just gave Acuna all the money. They just don't want to give him the money. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. It makes sense. I wouldn't give him that money. I'd have him on a one or two year deal. I would not give him one two years. I wouldn't give him that money, but Michael, I I wouldn't want to give him more than three years. Yeah, yeah, and I think that seems to be the snag at this point. But another guy that I didn't really want to give money. And I think we were both on the same train about this. Was Chris Sale? Are we worried about Chris Sale? And second part of that, are we worried about Nathan Evaldi? And does he have Araldis Chapman syndrome to where we think Alex Cora probably, or not even Alex Cora? I mean, it was Nathan Evaldi himself kind of overused himself in the playoffs last year. I'll start with Evaldi. I'm not worried about him, and I don't think uh, he ruined himself. When Chapman was playing for the Cubs, he wasn't a starter number one. He wasn't a star number one, but he had nothing. He was throwing sliders. His fastball was under 100, and he looked awful. Ovaldi looked better every time he went out there. He was throwing gas. And every time he went out, he looked better. Chapman was the opposite. Every time he went out, he looked worse, and his velocity got worse. His body language got worse. His secondary pitches got worse. Everything got worse. Ovaldi got better and stronger. I'm not worried about Ovaldi. He pitched better yesterday. Five innings, no decision. He'll get there. It's going to take some time, just like it did when he got here. He started out hot. The first two starts had that awful start in Baltimore, then a couple solid ones, then another really bad start, and then he finished the season really strong. You know, a couple good starts against the Twins mixed in there too. Chris Sale, 
I'm worried about the future, four or five years from now, with that arm. Right now, I'm not too worried, only because he hit 92 in his last start and ramped it up when he needed to. His left-to-right movement is great and on par, if not the same, as last year's movement. I'm talking on slider left-to-right. It's just the velocity right now, but from what all the talks are, he's not doing He's doing it on purpose. He's trying to save his arm. He's trying to limit himself. He's trying not to throw it that hard. In all reality, 92 and then a 77-mile-an-hour slider, that 92 is looking 95 anyway. Right, from that arm slot too. Yeah, are you worried about Sailor Evaldi? Um, I'm worried about Evaldi a little bit. Of course, I wasn't exactly the biggest proponent of his contract. Wasn't I didn't like it. But uh, Chris Sale, I mean, he's Chris Sale. I mean, do I think that he could use a Justin Verlander reinvention? I think everybody in baseball could almost use a Justin Verlander reinvention. But we're not to that age yet, in my opinion. I mean, are we? do you think that we're there yet with him? I don't think age matters with the guy. I think it matters what's going on. You know, Valdi had two Tommy Johns, one when he was a teenager. You know, that you don't look at a guy and say, like, okay, he's got to reinvent himself now either. A guy like Chris Sale, I think something needs to change. Literally, was it been four or five years in a row that he falls apart in September? Yeah, and I think a lot of and it is mechanics. I think it's mechanics. I just think it's the fact that he's going out there pitching like it's game seven of the World Series in the bottom of the ninth every single time. And you love that as a fan. And as a teammate, but in the longevity of it, it's like, all right, it's five nothing. It's the fifth inning of game thirty-seven of the season. We're playing Baltimore. The game's locked. Stop throwing ninety-seven. Just throw ninety. Throw ninety-two. We talked about this with Dustin Pedroia on the Red Sox show. I've I've very hard time thinking that he's dialing it back. Because he's so we you and I both know he's the most competitive person on the planet. Oh, dude, he's so competitive. The fact that it's it's almost laughable to think about that Dustin Pedroia is sitting there in his house just being like, yeah, that ball in the hole, I'm just going to let yeah, it go. Yeah, I'm just, no shot. I'm not going to go. Yeah. No shot. If anybody needs a, a switch to first base, it might be him. Yeah. I mean, Mitchie Two Bags is pretty hot right now, but I just... Now throw him in second do base. Do we really think that... I mean, Moustakas is, so I mean, come on. Seriously, anything. But really. do we really think that he, Chris Sale is dialing it back? I, I have a very hard time believing that, but... I'm optimistic about it. I mean, if he really is, and there's really no way to prove that he is. Well, it's either, it comes down to one or two things. It's either A, he's dialing it back and you believe him because he's throwing 92, 90. He's not throwing that hard, but his slider's still moving well, and he's still throwing a bunch of pitches, and he says he feels good. Or he's got issues and he's lying. It's either one of the two. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he's good. He's just taking it easy starting to get into it slow and listening to what people are saying, which is, hey, we need you in September, October. We don't need you in April and May. Just go out there, go through the motions, feel good, and then we'll, we'll figure it out in a few months. Dave and I are very excited to present our interview. Is it an interview? It's more of a discussion more than anything, right? I mean, it started out as an interview when we when we hit him up and we talked to him, but then once we got him in here, it was just more it was just like a great, awesome discussion with a, a fellow baseball fan and uh, a good guy. Uh, we have Bailey from Foolish Baseball on. If you don't know what Foolish Baseball is and you love baseball, what are you doing? I mean, I, I feel like I say that a lot, but Foolish Baseball is the best baseball content on YouTube, in my opinion. Yes, I love Dodger films. Yes, I love a bunch, but I truly believe that Foolish Baseball and what he's doing is very unique. I think it's very, it's completely different from what everybody else is doing analytically, whether it's, you know, baseball bits, the series as a whole, whether it's, 
you know, starting with Out of the Park Baseball, a series that I absolutely love with his White Sox series. And, you know, you could go look at his most popular video, the Justin Verlander video, which, I mean, is one of the best videos on YouTube as a whole. Be sure to check out his most recent video when he talks about how old Haas Radborn broke baseball in 1884. I mean, the guy had more wins than the Orioles and the White Sox last year. It's definitely worth a listen, and go ahead and enjoy the interview. Welcome back. Actually, I actually have one of my favorite YouTubers on, one of my favorite baseball content creators when it comes down to it. Bailey from Foolish Baseball is here. Bailey, how are you today? Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing all right, man. I'm glad that you're on the show and responded quickly, by the way. Yes, very punctual. Got to be. <laughs> all right. Well, kind of for the people that don't know who you are, which if you're a baseball fan, Foolish Baseball is like a must for baseball YouTube, kind of explain what kind of videos you make and... The content you create yeah sure so uh every two or three weeks i try to upload a video usually they're about 10 to 15 minutes long and um i'll be covering one topic from major league baseball uh, they're kind of done in like a video essay format if um, you've watched other youtube videos kind of similar to it like a film review and um yeah, so some some topics I've covered are one inning that Justin Verlander pitched in 2012. I talked about Larry Walker's Hall of Fame case. I talked about uh, Ichiro's potential as a power hitter and a home run hitter. And it's always kind of intentionally like not uh, like topical or modern. It's always something you can go back and watch, and it'll still have the same value, you know, a few months after the upload as it is the day it goes up. And I, I'm very uh, purposeful about that. How do you how do you decide what topics you're going to talk about? Is it just something that comes up? Is it something that you're passionate about? Like the Larry yeah. Walker thing is it was perfect timing, right? Yeah. So it's it's always something I'm passionate about. Like I've always felt like Larry Walker, if he were to get snubbed, uh, would be not just one of the greatest Hall of Fame snubs, but maybe the greatest as far as his uh, overall baseball talent and him not making. But uh, yeah, I usually just keep like a, uh, I have just like a Word document of potential topics. And I mean, they can range from something that happened a few years ago to, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of mulling over one about uh, a picture from the 60s right now. Uh, I don't want to specifically say in case I do or do not make that video, but it's just always trying to come up with fresh ideas. And there's really no rhyme or reason. It's just whatever I find interesting and whatever I think people find interesting. Were you always... Were you always a big baseball fan? Was it your like sport growing up or were you playing something else? When did you kind of realize like, yeah, baseball is like my, my niche. It's my thing. Yeah. So I've always been a huge sports nerd. And I think that kind of comes across in the videos. I, I do a lot of, uh, I use a lot of sabermetrics type stats that maybe you wouldn't, you'd be accustomed to seeing in like a blog post, but maybe not in a YouTube video. Um, yeah. So when I was younger, like baseball was always my number one sport. I, I grew up a huge Atlanta Braves fan just because that's what my parents liked. And um, when I got maybe a little bit older, like my teenage years and then to college, I got interested in other sports. So I'm just a huge sports geek in general. I like uh, football uh, and also quite like soccer too, uh, both the European leagues. And uh, now we have Atlanta United. So that's good too if you're an Atlanta sports fan. Um, but kind of um, baseball's always kind of been my number one. And um, in the past couple of years, my uh, my fandom of baseball has probably been reignited more than anything. I'm not quite sure what it was. Maybe it was the Cubs playoff run or something like that. But since then, I've gotten really into more of the advanced stats and trying to figure out like how do front offices run uh, things and uh, yeah, things of that nature. So uh, baseball's always been pretty much number one for me. I'm not particularly good at it though. I haven't 
played since I was about 13. I'm the same way. So, I mean, we, we get it. It tends to be baseball tends to be that way more than any other sport to where you don't have to play it until you're, you know, in your basically out of high school. I mean, this is something that you can get attached to almost immediately. And baseball for some people, for some reason is like golf. People don't like watching it. I could literally sit down and watch baseball the entire day and not be bothered about it. Oh, absolutely. And especially with, um, some of the numbers we have available now with StatCast, like one of my favorite things to do is watch a game and then you can pull up like on Baseball Savant, like you can watch the game live and then as every ball is hit, you can see what the exit velocity is or something like that. Yeah, and like if you think about it, right, the All-Star game this year, as little as people watch the All-Star game, the ESPN had the StatCast one. I think it it was on ESPN 2 to where it was basically the analytics guys and that was like must-see TV. Like That was so much better than the actual game. Analytics makes the game fun because it gives you another way of viewing the game without just watching balls and strikes. Yes, and I think one good thing about analytics is, is that it's not like a requirement to enjoy things. Like You can still have your traditional stats. You can still have your pastoral sort of romantic feelings about baseball, and the two aren't necessarily like mutually exclusive. Yeah, I love the fact that you know, and and you seem to be this way too, obviously, where advanced analytics can help you defend a certain case a lot better than just the, you know, black and white old school way of looking at things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, so a lot of my videos will, they'll sort of be covering one player. And I like to sort of see what kind of numbers I can dig up that, that show how great they are, but maybe in a new way that you hadn't previously considered. Yeah. So speaking of baseball, and YouTube both, obviously. When when was your first YouTube video? When did you sit in front of your computer and do it? Was it, you know, you made it, deleted it? Did you think about it for a while? Did you sit on a video? How did you just kind of be like, you know what? Baseball, YouTube, that's going to be my thing now. How did you get into that? Yeah, so I'd always kind of like made YouTube videos uh, off and on. Uh, it was usually just something I would make a video and then just show it to a friend or something like that. It wasn't never really for an audience. It's a baseball related video I made when I started the channel, uh, Foolish Baseball. I started doing uh, playthroughs and tutorials of the game Out of the Park Baseball, uh, which is a like GM uh, simulation video game. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Great, great game. Like any GM mode on NHL, franchise mode on any of the Madden games. I literally MLB the just show. got off of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fan favorite around these parts too. And, you know, from your videos and obviously you're very intense with it, but you know what you're doing and it's a great way to kind of like, you know, money ball it where, you know, do you get on base? Do you get do you get guys out? All right, you're on the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I did those for, I, I believe I started doing tutorials first, and then I did kind of a let's play where I went through and did my own save where I played as the Chicago White Sox. And uh, I did that from about April of 2018 through, gosh, I can't remember when I wrapped things up, maybe around September. Um, so to coincide with the actual baseball season. But anyways, uh, once I started switching to this new format, which is sort of the the video essay series that I call Baseball Bits, um, which is, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I'm take that, uh, the production quality of that much more seriously than I would say just like an out of the park baseball video. So it, you know, it takes some time to pump out, but what's great is I made sort of that switch in programming and it was so seamless because I already had this audience of just like diehard baseball nerds and they were, they're always going to be ready to like pick up whatever I was putting down. 
Yeah, well, and, you know, we actually just got exposed to out-of-the-park baseball probably, what, Dave, months, a couple months ago? When did we have Yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, it was Dan Zimborski, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, stat nerd, stat yeah. king, it's Zimborski. He came on the show, and he kind of told us about it. I was always a big GM mode guy in NHL series. I just loved the way it played, and, you know, you can play any video game and be good at it and just crush it and turn it on easy or whatever but leaving it to fate with the simulation was always harder for me and i always thought it was cooler and you know obviously there's a big side of that but we didn't even know about it until zimborski came on and we were talking that and we were talking zips and you know you were the head of the game and that too and you kind of mastered it when it came to putting a team together yeah definitely i mean it is it's an incredible series and it's it's a real time sink i've sunk uh probably hundreds of hours over the past couple of years into that game series. I, I could probably tell you how long it is because I, when I found the channel, because I think I found the channel with the Yips video. And Interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was. I, cause like, Which I've is always, a great video. I've always had this fascination with the Yips because it's, it affects all sports. I mean, you look at golf right now, Jordan Spieth, as everybody probably not listening won't know because it's baseball. It's, I mean, it's golf, not baseball, but Jordan Spieth has the yips. Marco Fultz, who is the subject of the video, you know, has the yips. But I literally sat down and watched the entire series of Out of the Park Baseball, and I, I got up and I was like, I love this series, but how much time did I just spend just sitting here? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you there's uh, approximately maybe, I want to say maybe 28, 29 episodes, and they're about 25 minutes long each, so you can go ahead and do the math on that if you yeah. want. No, it's, yeah, it's I mean, a lot. They're, they're long, just sitting there. I mean, it really... But it's so entertaining. It's, that's it is point. entertaining. It's, like, it's fun because you go to, you know, a you know, off season, you're like, all right, well, I got to sign my, my contracts, my minor league guys, move it up, set the lineups, you know, try and you know, manipulate the money a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're 45 minutes in and you've gotten a month through, through the you know roster. Right. Like, oh, oh, okay, here we are. What, um, what are you outside of baseball here? YouTube baseball, foolish baseball. You are one of the rare people on YouTube for people that don't follow YouTube. Usually you have a big subscriber count, but you don't have the views. You're mm -hmm. the opposite where you have 15,000 subscribers, which is amazing. Obviously 15,000 people subscribe to you and want to watch your videos, but your videos get way more. In 55, I mean, 15,000 views. You have your video that came out just four days ago. It's at 44,000 views and counting. What is beyond baseball for you? What is beyond YouTube for you? What is your passion outside of this? What are your, you know, kind of endeavors? Yeah, well, I have a real passion for um, writing. And I think that kind of comes across, you know, each of my videos is really just. Um, me doing a write-up on something, an essay, an article, whatever you want to call it. So the writing process takes up um, damn near half the time it takes to actually produce the video. So I've always kind of felt like um, this channel is a good mix of whatever my interests are because I do have an interest in video editing. I've started to do uh, original artwork for the channel, even though I don't really consider myself an artist. And what I've found is that this is a great medium for me because, yeah, maybe I don't have the writing chops to, like, uh, get a job as a writer and I, de I definitely don't have the video editing chops to get you know a professional job as a video editor but somewhere along when you start to combine those skill sets like now you have something unique that you can do and that you can put together um, another thing I also really like is uh, uh, comedy 
uh, I do uh, stand-up comedy from time to time, go to an open mic, and I try to introduce a little bit of humor into my videos. Uh, basically, not in an intrusive way, but if I'm going to be funny, like it has to be something really funny. Right. So what do your what do your scripts look like? Because if you're anything like me, I like having number one. I like obviously you have stats, so I like have everything in front of me. Dave's more kind of he has stats in front of him, but he doesn't have bullets. When you when you write your script, is it almost word for word, or how does it kind of look? Yeah, it's very nearly word for word. I would say so. I'll usually write out uh, first the words I'm gonna say, and then I'll kind of start to. I'll start to sort of storyboard within like my notes. So if I have an idea for like a cool graphic to put up during the video, then I'll start writing in brackets, like almost it's like stage direction and it'll play yeah, or you're something screenwriting like and directing basically. Yeah, I would say that. So usually I write it first and then I start to kind of picture visually what I want the video to look like at certain times when I'm reading through certain things. So that's sort of the process. And then from there I will usually go and I'll try to make as much like content and just like, uh, source material that I can use before I put the thing together um, because what I don't want to be doing is putting together new graphics as I'm editing the video it just ruins my flow so I'll spend a good uh, couple of days just like doing whatever artwork I need to do doing whatever graphics I need to do collecting all the stats you know, things of that nature so that once I actually get into the video editor itself which I use Sony Vegas that I can actually get through the video in hopefully about two days yeah I mean so do you have do you have videos just kind of put away or is, do you just do them like kind of one at a time? I'm going to get them out once every two weeks. Oh, I wish I had videos put away, but no, I mean, I pretty much upload right as I finish them. Maybe the next day they go up there's, there's, and, uh, and you'll figure this out, right? There's nothing worse than having content at your fingertips and not releasing it because you yeah. just want to release it. Like I work so hard on this. Why can't I release it right now? And that's how the show kind of works with us. Yeah, exactly. And and for me, you know, I'm my whole goal is just if I can do it every two to three weeks, I feel like that's a long enough amount of time that and I think one of the reasons one of the things you hit on, you said that my subscriber count is solid. I think right now it's about 16,000, but you'll see my videos will get two, three, four times as many views as that. And I think part of the reason for that is um, I don't want to call it an artificial scarcity, but it is a scarcity of my content. Um which is to say that I don't upload every week or every day or something like that. So when I do upload, it is kind of a big event, uh, so to speak. And um, so if you watched one of my videos in the past and you enjoyed it, you're going to see it probably pop up and you're recommended. And that doesn't even, you don't have to be subscribed for that to happen. So um, I, I just think sort of the, the pace at which I do things lends itself to having a, a higher view count than someone would with my current subscriber count. And uh, I'm not going to complain about it, you know. So no, this, yeah. Dave's Dave's gonna ask the next question because I'm actually very curious about this. Kind of what's what's your kind of thoughts? Because there's not a lot of video essay format baseball talk when it comes to comes to channel. I mean, I think I can't find anybody that does content even remotely close to yours. And right. obviously, baseball YouTube. If you want to go to Dodger Films or you know Dodger Dawson, Films, the only other one that I know Dawson, other right? than yours. Bailey that you know really but Bailey's and he is uploads different. all the time but Bailey's is different and I will say your your clickbait is very good oh your, good your and I think that's a big thing you know YouTube's an algorithm and for people that don't really get YouTube it's not as simple as just hey you upload a video and you type it in that's what pops up 
it kind of goes into what's kind of hot right now, you know, what is trending on Google, what's trending on YouTube, what's trending through just search engines, and it kind of throws it out there. If you're on the outside looking at the algorithm, your video view count is kind of going to show it. And you have a great kind of method there with being like every one to three weeks, two to three weeks, you know, to kind of upload. They're very good videos. They're just that perfect amount of time where you're not going to be like, oh, a 45 minute video, I don't have time for this. But it's also not a two minute video where it's not even worth watching. And you look at it and it's pretty. The colors are there. Best inning ever. Question mark. That kind of pulls you in. You have Justin Verlander there. You have the old, you know, the eight bits kind of, uh, and you even have it in the title, baseball bits, which is old school. People like that. But, you know, it is a science and you're obviously a smart guy. So kind of going into that, I, I think people may not really kind of appreciate that. So that's why I wanted to bring it up because it's more, it's, it's a business. It's more than just kind of being like, Hey, upload a video and uh, yeah, here, just look at it. It's much more than that. Yeah, I, I can speak to that. I have actually have uh, a really good friend who he calls himself uh, the clickbait king. Uh, shouts out to you, Danny. What is this, uh, what is so this Mr. I, Beast over here? Yeah, basically. I always just run titles by him. And uh, I don't want to make things like intentionally clickbaity. Like I would never try to mislead someone and I wouldn't try to make it look kind of hacky. Um, but what I do, you do want to find is the ability to make um, some sort of claim or an argument and then them click on that and think, no way that's true and then back it up. And I think that's been uh, the key to success. The other key to success, you kind of hit on the the color palette earlier. Like the thumbnail is such a huge deal in the YouTube game. What you can really use it for is to sort of supplement your title as well as give them sort of a visual preview of what they're going to be seeing. So you talked about the best inning ever. That's about uh, Justin Verlander. So that's just a sort of like when you see additional text like on the thumbnail, it's almost like an, an additional like subtitle to right. the to the actual video. Yeah, because you read it and like, again, I'm, I'm looking at it right now because I was kind of trying to process what you were talking about, but I'm looking at it and it's not even titled best inning ever. You know, it's titled Justin Verlander's impossible inning, but right. you read best inning ever first. Yes. And like, that's, that's the perfect thing about it. It's like in, in the Larry Walker thing, you have, you know, you, do you have you Xing out Larry Walker, you know, voting for Larry Walker. And it's just, it's so cool. Number one, the artwork. Because you said you do all that yourself, right? Yes. Yeah. Starting with so with the Verlander video, that was probably my first attempt at it. I did so this post arm uh, punt. Yes, post arm punt. Yeah, we can we can get into that one yeah. too. Right? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So uh, just to give a little bit of context, because um, uh, for those of you listening right now, like so, my number one video in the baseball bit series by far. Uh, is about Justin Verlander and this inning he threw in 2012. It's it's currently sitting at about 250,000 views. Um, and it's sort of what, it's the video that blew up that kind of caused me to, uh, this YouTube thing for me to take it seriously and start uploading regularly. And it took me from 800 subscribers to about 6,000 uh, in the span of about a week, uh, which is which was a crazy thing to happen. And it all culminated with basically Justin Verlander seeing it and uh, tweeting about it. And that's like one of the highlights of my life. And I'm only 23. Um, <laughs> yeah, an so, old man, as you tried to say, coming on here earlier. Yes, yes, I did try I to say to be 23 again. <laughs> um, but yeah, but anyways, as for the what the videos look like themselves, like it's called Baseball Bits and it's it's sort of 8-bit, 16-bit like video game aesthetic. And every now and then there's kind of a nod or an homage uh, to, an, to an older video game. Um, 
in fact, Walker Hall of Fame video, there's actually a little bit of gameplay from Quake 4 uh, snuck in there at the beginning. But um, Quake, classic series. Back, yes, in, classic. back in, in the bit series, if you will. Yeah, and it's just all about, for me, like, it, you know, it, the writing is one thing, but I just always want to create like an interesting sort of audio visual experience. Like I want people to feel almost like comfy when they watch the video. Like, like it's a nice warm blanket around them. Like, it kind of, even if you haven't played these games necessarily, because uh, this is kind of my uh, harsh confession. Like a lot of the video games that I use like soundtrack for, I haven't even played. Um, but it's just all about like giving you a certain feeling of like nostalgia and longing. And cause that's kind of how I feel about baseball, like the romantic aspects of it, at least. Well, and if you think about it, I don't think people use music enough. I mean, if you put, if you put music behind somebody's voice, right. It makes it that much easier to listen to. And the fact that you do that, but you also know exactly what you're talking about. And it's interesting information. It's not information that everybody knows. I mean, that whole Larry Walker video, the the fact that, you know, one of my favorite parts is he's not Todd Helton. Yeah. And, like, I was listening to that. I was like, okay. Because at the time, uh, you know, it was obviously a month ago, but it was around Hall of Fame time. And I was trying to figure out, you know, if I had a Hall of Fame ballot, what would I do? And I was kind of thinking about Helton, you know. I mean, he's one of the best first basemen of his generation. Actually, I watched the video, and I completely changed uh, i just flipped i'd crossed out helton and i put walker and i was like this makes so much more sense mm-hmm. so it was yeah pretty I, awesome. I think the main thing i wanted to hit on the walker video was just like that he was a legitimate like five tool player and that he you know he was an incredible hitter and um whether you know the, the degree to which it was aided by course field you can look at you know one of the biggest things i cited was that um, a, he has a higher road OPS than Ken Griffey Jr. And B, he only played 30% of his career games at Coors. But I also really wanted to focus on, he was a very efficient base dealer and he won seven gold glove awards. So I don't, you know, I don't want to lump him in necessarily. Like Todd Helton was an excellent defender uh, well, but he was also like a first baseman and he played half his games at Coors. Um, and he didn't have the base running chops that uh, Larry Walker did. So you, what you can't do, I think, is lump everyone who played in Coors to the same group. Not that I don't think uh, Todd Helton should be in the Hall of Fame. That's a discussion for another day. Um, but just because they played in the same stadium doesn't mean they're the same players, and that doesn't mean they benefited in the same way. No, you can't discredit somebody. You can't discredit a whole generation of players just because, oh, they played in a place where baseball flies a little bit better. Yeah, you, know, you can't really do that. I and mean, people like to do that still now. I mean, you look at a guy like DJ LeMahieu, who Austin and I are huge fans of. Trevor Story. Although he's getting the Trevor Story is another one, and obviously Arenado. But, I mean, you want to talk about Arenado outside of Coors and just his defense in general. I mean, your defense doesn't get better because you're playing Coors Field. Yeah, and um, inversely, you know, it, if to the degree with which people penalize uh, hitters in Coors Field, they don't give enough of a boost to pitchers because what Kyle Freeland and uh, Herman Marquez. Oh, my God, they're unbelievable. Incredible. And as as great as Freeland was, I, I was actually maybe more impressed with Herman Marquez. Like his swing and miss stuff is out of this world. And in that ballpark, that's really hard to do. And especially yeah, in an organization hard. to where you have to grow pitchers. Because I hate to break it to anybody, not everybody's Wade Davison comes to Colorado and wants to play for the Rockies in Coors Field, especially not especially starters. Especially, because yeah, especially starters. Out there. Why would why would you? Yeah, definitely. Stupid. The stupid. Just Coors Field, you could do just by itself. But the stupid myths of baseball, I guess, like um, you know Fenway Park with the with the monster, 
Yankee Stadium is a good one because you can you can kind of use it both ways. Where it's just like, is Yankee Stadium really a hitter's ballpark? I think it right. is. Right field, short porch, and take the numbers from old Yankee Stadium to new Yankee Stadium. A lot of different things. How did you wind up in Germany? I studied German when I was in college. Uh, it was one of my two majors, the other being history. And then around the time, it was probably around the winter or the spring of my uh, senior year, uh, I was kind of looking to take what I would call like a quasi gap year. Like I wasn't feeling confident or ready to start a career or pursue grad school or whatever was next. So I started looking into programs and I applied to this great program and I'll shout them out. Uh, it's called uh, CBYX uh, for young professionals in this case. Uh, in, in Germany, it's called the PPP, which stands for uh, Incoming German Parlamentarisches Patenschaftsprogramm. Uh, everybody knew that. Yeah, that was everyone knows one. what that means. It, it yeah. means uh, parliament. It's like the it's like the parliamentary, um, and then you have like Panschaft, uh, is like sort of like a godfather. So you have like a, a representative um, that you uh, get to know in the German parliament, and then program. That's pretty straightforward. But anyways, um, yeah. So I went and did that for a year, and uh, I spent the bulk of that time in Hamburg up north. And um, while I was there, uh, I did some volunteer work with uh, not one, but two baseball teams. So the baseball scene up there is really interesting, uh, really tight knit. Uh, there's a lot of guys involved who are expats. There's a lot of guys who aren't. And one interesting thing I found is that a lot of them had become fans sort of in the 90s. And as a result, were and incidentally enough, like Atlanta Braves fans, like I ran to a lot of Germans who like their favorite player was John Smoltz. Really? Not a bad guy to yeah. like. I mean, I'm a big John Smoltz oh, fan, yeah, too. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, who isn't? Especially, yeah. it's hard not to be a fan of the entire trio of the 90s, honestly. Do you think anybody out there had a Greg Maddox video that you could uh, maybe get your hands on for a perfect game? Yeah. Or the, or the so, no <laughs> <laughs> Dave's second so game is ridiculous today. I'm, I'm gonna, I hate to reveal sort of my playbook here, but my plan is once I get enough influence in like the baseball scene on youtube whatever you want to call it like i'm going to basically throw a hissy fit and uh just see like how if can i use this influence to bully major league baseball into uploading greg maddox's 76 pitch complete yes um, and then the when i do yes, that then i can make the video about it right yeah which is going to be awesome because that game probably took 30 minutes of him actually pitching once right. you actually get away if from that, like him walking around the mound and the hitters it's probably like 25 minutes of him throwing the baseball there was a there's an article I, I want to say it was Grant Biz, Biz, Grant uh, Brisby that wrote, and uh, it was about his like three favorite Greg Maddox starts, and it was going over uh, all the d interesting numbers. And when he gets to the one that's about the 76 pitch complete game, he's like, "This is the one that like I would like pay hundreds of dollars to watch on the IMAX." And I don't, you know, I can't do that for him, but I want to give him the next best thing. Yeah, to at least be able to see it, and I want people to basically see how good Maddox was because I don't think Maddox gets enough credit. Dave and I were actually talking about this prior. Maddox did everything and did everything very fast. I mean, between the three of them, they had three very different styles, but there can definitely be an argument be made that Maddox was the best out of the Atlanta trio. Oh, I think without a doubt he was. And not just that, but I think if you look at his overall career as a whole like you could easily make the argument that he's the greatest pitcher of the modern era um but i think one interesting thing about maddox is he gets this reputation because he didn't throw hard um for not being a strikeout artist and Control but freak. the truth is like for most of his um 
prime like he was like he had an ab- league average like above average strikeout rate and that was just um a result of him basically never throwing balls and never walking anybody he was just always in the strike zone um but i mean he he struck people out for sure yeah we always talk about uh we have you know a friend of the program cole Irvin, and he's a um you know minor league pitcher for the phillies he always talks about how he is a a pitcher not a throw and we love that term because those guys back in the day we're more pitchers than throwers. And I think it's harder to be a pitcher than it is to throw at 105 because you're kind of blessed to be Chapman. You're not blessed to, you know, put it on the corners. You got to work for that. Yes. Um, in the Brave system right now, and he's, you know, hope, he's going to be vying for a rotation spot uh, this upcoming season. Uh, but Mike Soroka is a guy that I really oh, yeah. look up. And he is like the textbook definition of like a pitcher. He doesn't have the blow you away stuff, but just mentally, like he's so advanced for someone his age and he just knows like how to handle every situation. Um, another pitcher I really like, you could say along those lines is Kyle Hendricks. He has kind of that Maddox quality. Yeah, absolutely. He's more of a control guy. He showed it off in the uh, postseason Cubs run a couple of years ago. And that dude has ice in his veins too. Yeah. Another thing that you just can't teach. You just either have that or you don't. You have the clutch gene. You have the uh, you don't get rattled gene. And uh, Hendricks has it. Maddox has it. Schmoltz had it. All those guys had it. So here's a Braves question because you're an Atlanta Braves fan, obviously. What do you think that the Braves rotation will look like at the end of the season? Because there's so many <laughs> pitching prospects. It's ridiculous. Just, yeah. just a few there. Yeah. So I was actually kind of you know, wondering if they would trade one of their pitching prospects uh, this offseason. And as of recording this, they have not. Um, but uh, I was kind of hoping they'd be in on Real Muto. Um, but anyways, so I'm going to say uh, Julio Tehran will still be with them. Uh, that that may come back to bite me later. Uh, Kevin Gosman definitely has a spot in the rotation. Um, and then beyond that, you know, uh, Fulte's obviously got his spot. Fulte will probably be uh, the opening day starter, number one starter. Uh, for the foreseeable future. And then I'm going to say, to round things out to those, towards the bottom, I'm going to say Mike Soroka and Tuki Toussaint. Yeah, Toussaint, I think, is in there too. It's a little bit of a sleeper, dark horse for now, but give him a couple of years. He's he's going to be nasty. Yeah, and well, the Braves a will... A little bit. Yeah, sorry. The Braves will experiment with like a six-man rotation or a quasi-six-man rotation where they're sending guys up and down from AAA or or the uh, whatever the disabled list is called now. I literally can't remember what they changed yeah, it to. Yeah, we're going to so call it the disabled list forever. Is it the injured list? I think it, it, is, I think I think it is the, the IL. Like, that yeah, doesn't yeah, have the which same is ring. Dumb. Yeah, it's stupid. So, yeah, and I think baseball is definitely trending in direction where you're seeing a lot more fluidity between the bullpen and the starting rotation and anyways. So you're going to see, you know, last season there were so many guys who came up like Bryce Wilson came up and started yep. a game All basically. Right. And then got, sick. yeah. So, and then, yeah, in September, it's going to be crazy too. Like the amount of guys that are, are young that are going to come up. There's this new craze in baseball that Kevin Cash decided to invent or not even invent. Let's call it, push forward a little bit kind of what's your thoughts on this whole opener position well i really like it actually um i'm not really sure if i'm ready for every team to do it and i don't think there's a need um but what i will say is that i like anything that sort of innovates and i don't you know you see a lot of people talk about three batter minimum or preserving you know whatever they can with the starting pitcher what i what i would not want to do is try to limit someone's creativity uh as as far as being a manager goes um, so I'm actually, uh, quite fond of it. I think it's funny, uh, if anything, just to see guys rack up like 30, 40 starts a year, um, but right. throw one inning <laughs> a piece. Um, 
uh, I think Ryan Stanak uh, broke some like starts made record or something like that. I can't not like in terms of total starts made, but he, he broke some weird record. I can't remember it. Um, but um, yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't want to see it uh, on the Braves necessarily, but I I do like it for for some teams, and I think Tampa Bay. Uh, it's just an organization you have to admire no matter what. Just the just the tenacity to do what they do year in and year out. Uh, the amount of games they won last year in that division uh, with that payroll when they'd gotten when they non tendered a lot of talented players as well. Uh, huge props to them. Huge props to Kevin Cash. Teams like Boston and New York obviously don't need the bullpen and don't need openers. But if you're a team like Texas who doesn't have a lot of starting pitching talent, I mean your most prized possession right now is Lance Lynn. Teams like that definitely need to at least look at the option because look what Tampa did. You have a couple great bullpen arms in that Texas pen, actually. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about Jose Leclerc, who's one of the more underrated relievers in baseball. Right. But, I mean, it, it, I definitely think that it's a good thing, and I don't know why the old heads in baseball, as usual, are pushing it against the grain, basically. Well, you know they're always going to push it back, those unwritten rule guys and and everything like that. But I, on the flip side of that, I can't wait to see what managers start to do to kind of combat that. You know, I think, you know, maybe getting guys, you know, to start the game, you might start seeing guys coming off the bench to start games and then putting in your starters for the, you know, one through nine, because why wasting a bat? Why, you know, if you're going to throw out a reliever, you know, say Steve Pierce and the Red Sox crushes a reliever in Tampa. Well, start him that day, take him out, and then put Mitch Moreland in. You know, you're going to see a lot of juggling with that because baseball teams and players are not going to sit there and just take it and rush the first two innings. Romo played the field last year. Romo played the field last year, and he was a good signing as well. And, you know, he can be used, and he stayed in Florida. But you're going to see that Joe Madden does it, who, you know, he coaches himself a lot. No, I'm not a Joe Madden guy. I don't think he's, you know, the guru that everyone thinks he is. But, you know, putting pitchers out there in the field, it's stupid. That's why I think the DH should be everywhere. But teams are going to start coming up with different ideas to combat the opener. Yeah, I think um, you're seeing like a, a huge emphasis on uh, bench depth and platooning. So a lot of these teams I look at and the and the two things that stand out to me uh, in the National League at least would be the Dodgers and the Brewers. Like depending on whether the starting pitcher they face is right-handed or left-handed, like their lineups can just be wildly different um, based on the amount of talented bats they have, like both in the starting lineup and in their bench. So I think if, you, if you're if you trying to get around them by maybe having a right-handed opener and then a lefty like come in who's basically the quasi-starter, like he's going to try to go, you know, maybe two, three, four innings. Um, I mean, like you said, like starting with a lineup in the, for that first go round and then swapping, uh, one or two guys out, you know, it can give you a lot of different looks throughout the game. And and that makes it hard to sort of game plan for that. Hey, how'd you come up with the name foolish baseball? Yeah. Great question. Um, uh, there's just this really bizarre video out there and I hate to, uh, bring it up, but it's this guy having like a weird um, meltdown, a public meltdown. I don't want to give too many clues uh, for someone to find it, but uh, at some point he turns to the cameraman and he just calls him. He's like, you foolish boy. Like he's like some sort of like weird, like wizard character, even though it's just like a normal guy. So I started using the name foolish boy when I was on YouTube, just cause I thought the video was like so bizarre. Um, cause I kind of, I kind of sympathized with the foolish boy uh, character, the, the, 
the you know he's the cameraman we can't see him anyways you're reading i'm reading way too into this but uh and then i just changed it to foolish baseball when i was decided basically i just wanted to make baseball and i like the name foolish baseball because it gives me the ability to make whatever mistake i want to make and then just be like hey it's the name of the channel like what do you expect you know